You're listening to the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle. Today's guest, former Stanford kicker and the pioneer of virtual reality in sports, Derek Belch. Hello, everybody. I'm Max Whittle, and welcome to the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle, where each week we get inside the mind of a special guest from the world of American sport. On today's show, former Stanford kicker and founder of STR IVR Labs, Derek Belch. Derek's company, which stands for Sports Training in Virtual Reality, is working with some of the top teams and athletes in the NFL, NBA and NHL. And it's fascinating to hear how he went from playing and then coaching on the Stanford football program to running this big time business. That's coming up, but first, as I do every week, my four storylines. It's been an interesting week in the US sports world since we last did a podcast with Alistair Kirkwood, which was great. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading and thanks for subscribing on the channel. Number one today, we have officially seen the last game played by David Ortiz. It's it's sad and it's it's strange because the Red Sox were eliminated by the Cleveland Indians in such an easy way. It was three game sweep in the ALDS. Terry Francona, a great manager. But the way Boston went out after that big winning streak, it was 10 or 11 games in September. I just thought they were going to be a little bit more competitive than this. So a weird end for Ortiz. Uh, Great piece on the Boston Globe by Pete Abraham. If you haven't read that, go check it out. Pete covered the Sox all season long and he's got stories and tidbits from Ortiz's year since spring training, actually, back in March. Some of my favourites, Ortiz actually talked to reporters in spring training. It was uh, late March now and he was sat in the dugout and he was talking about how Minnesota coaches tried to shorten his swing and hit line drives over the shortstop's head when he was playing for the Twins. Now... You could agree with Ortiz here and say that, you know, bad coaching can ruin someone's career, it can end someone's career. But of course, there is also the suspicion of steroid use with Ortiz because he was not a great player in Minnesota and he figured it out pretty quickly and pretty dramatically when he moved to Boston. Let's look at the steroid thing. In 2009, it was six years after every major leaguer was granted confidentiality to participate in what they called a suspicionless drug testing survey. I don't know if you remember it, but uh, the privacy agreement was basically violated. And Ortiz was one of four players exposed to have failed the screening. And he's had to carry this with him for the whole of his career. And he's spoken a lot about how he re- how he's always regretted that. And not the fact that he always denied that he used anything that was you know, banned. He said that he was just using what everyone else was using at the time. So you could take it either way with Ortiz. He had a great career. But did he have artificial help? We don't know for sure. But his name was on that list for some reason. What Ortiz does that's great and I love about him is he does things for children in the community that people just don't see. Plenty of stories to talk about with Ortiz, how he signs a lot of autographs, he has photos with people. One of my favourites from Pete Abraham was there was a game in Yankee Stadium back in May. Ron Culper, the umpire, called Ortiz out on strikes and it was clearly tooth balls uh, by the pitcher, but Ortiz was mad. He was. It, it became a, pretty much a fight. I think Ortiz wanted to hit Culper if he could, but he was held back by John Farrell. Um, but Ortiz was mad and he was talking to reporters on the way out of the stadium and he spotted two New York City policemen And he went over to them and he said, how are you guys doing? Love you guys. Thanks. And that just tells me at least what David Ortiz was as a man. He understands his role in society. He's not just a player. He can take himself out of that. He passed Ted Williams in home runs this season. He still refers to him as Mr. Williams. 
always seemed to have a big moment in every postseason, and he became Mr. Red Sox amidst all the great players, Pedro Martinez, Dustin Pedroia, Manny Ramirez, Johnny Damon, go down the list. He is Mr. Red Sox. And that speech after the marathon bombings, it united the city. And remember, guys, this is a 40-year-old who hit 38 home runs in his last season. He drove in 127 runs. Weird to see it end so easily. 25,000 or so fans waited for Ortiz after the ALDS defeat. That's pretty rare, guys. To have a defeat that bad and the playoffs to end so quickly and abruptly, for the fans to wait around to see Ortiz off, he was crying, of course. Everyone was sad. Everyone was angry, but they still wanted to say goodbye. And he goes down as the greatest DH of all time. So rest those feet, puppy. I know they're hurting you. You'll be missed. Number two on my list this week, the return of Tom Brady. And it's good for the NFL. I wrote on MaxWhittleMedia.com this week that it looked evident that Brady's return helps both the Patriots and the NFL, but not the 31 teams who are competing against the Pats. Brady comes back, casually, another day at the office, throws for 406 yards, three touchdowns, and the Pats are suddenly 4-1 with their star back in the lineup, having only played one game this season. It was a perfect game to come back to against the Browns. Listen to this list of quarterbacks they've had to use in five weeks. Robert Griffin III, Josh McCown, Cody Kessler, Terrell Pryor, and now Charlie Whitehurst. That's five quarterbacks in as many games. They're going to have to start, if they do start Whitehurst next week, their fourth quarterback in six weeks. How is that even possible? I think the really interesting thing for New England here after this performance wasn't just Brady's sublime play and the fact that we we remember now and we acknowledge that he is still a very, very, very good player is that Rob Gronkowski had over 100 receiving yards. He hasn't looked himself this season and straight away, instantly, he had Brady back at quarterback and that partnership was fantastic. Tight end Martellus Bennett, he had three touchdown receptions. Imagine that tandem down down the stretch, Gronkowski on one side, Bennett on the other. And then you had Julian Edelman, who was back in the action looking himself again. He hasn't been himself like Gronk, so that's dangerous for the rest of the league. The Pats quarterbacks were dropping like flies to the start of the season. You had Jimmy Garoppolo go down after week two. Jacoby Brissett came in and he hurt his thumb and he played on into the fourth week. I wasn't quite sure how good they were this season, but Brady comes back. He throws for 406 yards. The Pats are dominating the AFC East as they do every single season with Belichick and Brady in tow. And remember, this will be a healthier Brady come playoff time in January. And he wants to receive that trophy, that Lombardi trophy from Roger Goodell, the commissioner. How sweet that would be for him. I I do think there's two things I'm going to end on with this. Is that I don't think the Deflategate suspension that had Brady set out for four games to start the season is going to lend him any extra motivation for winning his fifth Super Bowl Tom Brady is one of the most motivated, hardworking individuals in the NFL. He studies the game. He knows his history. He emulates a lot of former quarterbacks. Every single season, you see him run onto the field shouting. You know, he was screaming before the Cleveland game. But if you watch the Patriots often, which I don't, (laughs) but still you see it on highlights too, Brady is fired up every single week. Doesn't change for me uh, the Pats' chances of winning the Super Bowl. And secondly, I think the NFL is lacking in star power at the moment. Calvin Johnson retired. Peyton Manning retired. J.J. Watt's out for the season. Brady is a big part of the league's success. And just one final time on Deflategate before I let it go forever. They went after their biggest asset, the NFL. And I think the only one on paper. Brady is the winner still. Didn't lose much money on that contract. His agent was smart about moving things around. He's back now. And the Pats, well, (laughs) let's see what happens. Number three, what is up with the Carolina Panthers? 
Carolina went 15-1 and in the regular season last year. They are currently 1-4. and They looked very good in Denver in week one to start this season, but they couldn't pull out the victory. But for me, this terrible run started there with Cam Newton not coming out of the game with definite concussions. Derek Anderson has played the last game against the Bucks, and he had to play a part of the game, uh, the third game. Panthers turned the ball over a ton against Tampa Bay in their recent, uh, their recent loss. Anderson picked in the end zone at 14-0. He was driving for the go-ahead touchdown through, a, through an interception. There was a punt that was dropped. And when Roberto Aguayo beats you with a field goal, you know your luck is out. That guy was picked in the second round. If you don't know the story about Aguayo, he's picked in the second round in the draft this season by the Buccaneers. He's missed four field goals on eight tries and an extra point so far. But he nailed the final kick. Uh, he, hit the, he hit the upright a couple of times in this game, but he hit that winner. And Panthers head coach Ron Rivera, he stressed that this team had to go back to basics and forget about last year when they went to the Super Bowl. Just doesn't look like they have that same mojo right now. And that's with Kelvin Benjamin back at wide receiver. So while I expect the NFC South to continue to be, you know, well, the Falcons are playing well right now, but I expect it to be winnable still for the Panthers or at least get a wild card. But that division does help them slightly. It's going to be a tough run from here on out, though. Number four, there will be a quarterback controversy in Dallas in a couple of weeks, and rightfully so. Dak Prescott should be the starting quarterback for Dallas. Until he starts throwing picks and the Cowboys lose some games, there is no way, there is no way that Jerry Jones and Jason Garrett can say with hands on their heart to the press that Prescott is not the best option for them when Tony Romo is healthy. Now, Jerry Jones has remained steadfast with this. He said that nothing has changed around here. And I'm presuming he's talking about the quarterback. It's still Romo's team. But clearly it has. Prescott still hasn't thrown a pick in 155 pass attempts. Wentz has now thrown an interception. So Prescott is riding high on the rookie train. Swagger about the team. You notice it when you watch the Cowboys. Prescott has this team confident. And most importantly... He's carried himself as he said he would in the summer, when, let's face it, everything is subject to change. Prescott has been consistent with that. He's got a great attitude. And him and running back Ezekiel Elliott, who <laughs> looks like the next best thing at running back, and that offensive line, they've gotten past Romo's absence. They've gotten past the tardiness and the drama of Des Bryant. And they jumped out to 4-1 and one after losing their first game, and they're atop the NFC East. Of course Tony Romo deserves to win his job back, Except I don't think it's his anymore. Two weeks ago, you could have said automatically, Romo will go back in. But I don't think you can. You can't fix what isn't broken. And with Prescott, his latest win was 28-14 against the Bengals. The Cowboys are on the up. And you have to factor in here, and this is something that people don't think about, the locker room. Does Ezekiel Elliott want Romo as his quarterback? What does Jason Witten think? the most respected voice in the Dallas locker room. What does he think about the team's momentum right now? Does he think Roma should come back in? What's the dynamic in the locker room, on the field? What's the chemistry like? What's Prescott like in the practice field and the facilities? What's he like with Jason Garrett? What's his communication like with his teammates? And that is a big, big thing in the NFL. Those are my top four storylines this week. Now to our guest, and it's a good one, Derek Belch. He's Derek Belch, former Stanford kicker and founder of STR IVR Labs. Derek, thanks for joining me today. Where are we talking to you from? Uh, from the great state of California, Max, just going up and down uh, Southern California and, and NorCal. You're the virtual reality guru, but I really want to talk about kicking first, right? So you were a kicker on the Stanford program. Um, had you always kicked and how did you become good at it? 
yeah, that's, that's a great question. I, I actually played uh, every sport growing up, um, and when I was looking at playing American football in, in high school, um, I had a medical condition with my neck, and the doctors wouldn't allow me to play normal football. Uh, so, so because I played or play play a position um, based on too much risk with the head. So, uh, because I, I kicked, played soccer, I was pretty good. I tried kicking, and the rest is history. So how old were you when you wanted to play football, but you were told you couldn't? Uh, a freshman in high school, so what, 13, 14, um, and, and grew, grew up playing football. My uncle actually played linebacker at Stanford and, and in the NFL, uh, and I always emulated Jerry Rice growing up. So a uh, little bit of a blow to not be able to play, mm-hmm. but you know, it is what it is, and everything worked out. So. How did you go about getting good at kicking? Is it, was it a way of you know, trying to get to Stanford, or could you have just done that in an educational standpoint? Uh, I, I had the grades um, and, and the extracurriculars, but, you know, any any little bit helps, obviously. Um, and as far as, you know, getting good, a lot of it was just kind of natural leg strength and then repetition, just doing it over and over again. And, and you know, I think today the, the position uh, has become a lot more specialized and a lot of parents are realizing that, you know, long snapping, punting, kicking, a great way to have your son get a college scholarship and not have to get hit. So, so they're starting at a younger age. Um, you know, when I was when I was coming out of high school in in 2003, it was you know still there weren't that many true kicking specialists. So you, you could kind of stand out if you had good form and, and a good leg, um, and, and that's what happened to me. So I got lucky, I guess. I'm intrigued. How was a kicker treated on a football team, or how were you treated? <laughs> uh, at times, kickers were treated pretty poorly. <laughs> um, but but it, you know it depends if you do your job uh, and if you if you work just as hard as the other guys and everything you're asked to do, it really is a non-issue. I had, I had a very positive experience. Um, you know, I was one of our team captains my last year in high school, uh, one of our leaders my last year at Stanford, um, and, you know, just blended in nicely. So no, no problems on my end. You mentioned that you had some family member that played in the NFL. Was it ever a goal for you? I mean, yeah, a, I a realistic goal. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I tried. I mean, my, after my senior year, I tried – tried to, to go to the league and um, had a few workouts and just didn't, didn't happen. So moved on pretty quickly. Okay. So when did virtual reality set off a light bulb in your head? Let's put it that way. Sure. So, you know, the, the original idea kind of goes back to when I was an undergrad uh, taking Jeremy Balenson's classes at Stanford uh, in 05, 06, um, kind of bantering around the idea of using VR to train athletes. Um, and then, Flash forward, I come back to Stanford as, as a coach uh, in, in 2013, and I'm in a graduate program, and uh, Jeremy said to me, hey, you know that, that thing we talked about almost a decade ago, uh, th- I think it, think the timing's right, so let, let's do this for your master's project, and, and who knows where it could go from there. So that, that's kind of how it, how it, um, how it happened. I, I, I'm not really a tech enthusiast by nature, I'm not going to lie, um, but to, to apply the technology to something I loved, which was football, um, to do it in an academic capacity and, and, and knock out a, you know, a, a thesis requirement. Um, and then, oh, by the way, keeping it in the back of my mind that it, it could be something that, that has commercial application one day, it was kind of the, the perfect storm. I noticed that it was about six years between you originally taking the idea to Jeremy Balenson and then, you know, uh, reapproaching him as a graduate assistant. Are you surprised that in that time no one had pushed this, this idea along? No, not really. Um, the, the technology just wasn't ready. The hardware wasn't ready. Uh, the, the ease of use wasn't there. 
um, you know, even now we're we're still a ways away from being able to do this with effective gaming graphics and more manipulatable characters. So not not surprised at all. I mean, in some cases we still have a long way to go, and it's, and it's arrived today. You know, so um, not 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 surprising at all. So before we get deeper into this, I guess for the listeners, you know, can you break down what virtual reality is at least for athletes that are using it in the in today's game sure so you know from a scientific standpoint we we kind of we call vr at least in our circle um with jeremy and our company the the illusion of non-mediation so basically your, your brain forgets that you're you're standing in a room uh with carpet and walls and instead you're completely transported mentally to the, the place that the vr simulation is happening right um so for what we're doing for athletes can we give an athlete a view of what they actually see on the field, not the view that television shows, not the view that from 50 feet in the air with film or from the sideline, but the view they actually have on the field. So that's kind of job number one. And then job number two, when you can, when you can present that view in an immersive 360 degree environment and give, you know, give the athlete a true mental experience as if they're actually there well, then you've really won and you've done something unique. And, and that's what we're, we're shooting, to, shooting to do right now. Um, and we're doing it and we're just, you know, trying to make it better every day. So was this, this was a topic for your master's thesis, correct? Yes, that is correct. Do you think Jeremy expects you to come back to him with this idea? And, and how did you work on that, that master's? You know, I mean, we, we, we kind of came up with the idea together. Um, and then, you know, Jeremy's communication to me was, Obviously, this could potentially have be commercially viable if, if you do a good job, and you know we'll talk about that when, when, when the time comes, if and when. So we kind of decided together to, to, to set out on, on this particular path, um, and obviously there was a lot of work that had to be done, but you know here we are. So you mentioned that you were a Stanford coach. Um, did VR just become more fun than coaching, and, and how was it incorporated into the Stanford system while you were there? Uh, yeah, I certainly wouldn't say it was more fun than coaching because it was a lot of extra work on top of the, the coaching responsibilities. Um, so, you know, we, we basically just tried to integrate it into the daily, weekly requirements of, of what the players and coaches do on a regular basis. Um, and a lot of credit to, to David Shaw, the head coach, and Mike Bloomgren, the offensive coordinator, for really – embracing what we were doing, uh, seeing the big picture and knowing that there were probably there were some kinks to work out, um, but, but knowing what the potential could be. And then by the end of the season, with three games to go, the, the, the thing is, is humming pretty good. Um, and, and it actually works. And that's when our players started using it. And we, we saw some pretty interesting results on the field. And, and that's when David sat me down and, you know, basically convinced me to get out of there and, and go start a company. So that's kind of the evolution of how it, how it all went down. And do they still use it today? They do. Yeah, they are. Um, they're actually one of our, our biggest users, which I hope would be the case, <laughs> given, given that it came from there. But yeah, yeah, they do. And they, they use it across the board, quarterbacks, running backs, offensive linemen, linebackers, they, they really, they, they wear it out. Having this conversation with you, it's intriguing to know how this went down originally. So what obstacles you might have faced in trying to install this product and you really believed in it amidst a football team that were basically just trying to win games and practice, right? Yeah, and, and, and even now, I mean, we, we've had a lot of success now with, with obviously selling to teams, um, but it, it's an uphill battle every day. I mean, you're, you're dealing with 
uh, uh, coaches that have been doing something the same way for 30 years and, and have been successful, they, and they don't, they don't want to change. You're dealing with players that, you know, some of them think it's awesome. Some of them think it's, you know, eh, not for me. Uh, guys that have 10-year veterans that have been to Pro Bowls and have had their routine that they don't like to stray from. So it, it, it's a challenge every day, and, and we have to constantly remind ourselves that, you know, hey, guys, like, let's remember, we're, from our vantage point, this is the greatest thing ever, and not everybody's going to view it that way, and that, that's okay. Um, you know, we're working with, with 25 teams across professional and collegiate football, a couple in the NBA, some individuals, a, a major league baseball team. So there's a lot that we're doing right now. Um, and, and by and large, everybody that we're working with has really bought in and is doing, using it the right way. And we're seeing some really cool results. I love the quote from David Shaw, Stanford head coach. He said, you can stay here and you'll be a great coach, but I think you're really onto something here. If I were you, I'd put everything I had into this. He said that to you. Um, is that quote right there the biggest reason why your company exists? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, that, that, that was the exact line. If I were you, I would put everything I had into this. And that, that, that pretty much convinced me that, that, I, that I should. Um, obviously, a lot, of, a lot of personal conversations, too, with, with parent, my parents and my wife and myself. Uh, but, but, you know, David, David's blessing meant a lot. Um, and and I, I'm very grateful to him for that. Do you consider yourself the pioneer of virtual reality in sports? Uh, yeah, you know, that, that's a pretty, pretty powerful phrase. Um, definitely not a, a VR, right? I mean, there, long before, before us, uh, there, were, there were many, and, and there's been a lot of folks that have been doing this for a long time. But, but yeah, I, I would say we, we, we are pioneering VR in, in sports, as, particularly as it pertains to training. Uh, you know, we're doing a lot on the fan experience side, too, but I, I would say in training – you know, we, we've taken a method of, of using real video and, and creating a workflow. And, um, you know, we, we've basically created an industry. Uh, and, and it's something that people are, are watching closely and taking very seriously. So uh, certainly, you know, humbly, yes, I, I would say that, that that is something that we are doing. We are pioneering uh, a new way of, of mental training and preparation. So take me into this. You're planning for your first pitch to, to a professional team. Let's take the NFL, for example, a team in the NFL. Walk me through that process. Um, honestly, n- n- nothing, nothing groundbreaking, <laughs> nothing too special. Uh, the, the identical pitch to some colleges we had made before. Um, you know, I, I, I'm fairly natural in, in front of people, so just kind of explaining what we were doing and answering questions and uh, it w- was not a big deal. And, and then it, it really helps take the pressure off when, when Jason Garrett, uh, the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, puts it on and, you know, not really sure what he's thinking, and then he takes it off and, and he's got 20 coaches in the room, and he says, I had high expectations for this, and you just blew them away. Thanks. And he walks out. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that kind of took a lot of pressure off right there. Um, but, you know, n- n- nothing, nothing groundbreaking. Uh, we, we ask a lot of questions. We have, try to understand. You know, obviously we, we, we get what, what teams go through and players on a daily basis because a lot of our company is comprised of former athletes and, and coaches. Um, so, so we get their world. Uh, but everybody's also different, so we have to cater to, to their pain points as well. Um, and, and I think they appreciate that we understand their world that goes a long way. So Jason Garrett was impressed. When you watch the Dallas Cowboys now on TV, I don't know how much you'll watch them, but do you, do you notice parts of the game where you can say to yourself, well, that's where our technology is helping them? Uh, you know, not, not, not during a game per se, um, but uh, we, we certainly communicate with them on a daily basis. Uh, and we, there, you know, there were times last year where they would bring in a, 
uh, sign a quarterback off the street because of their injuries, and, and that quarterback is using the, the VR system, uh, you know, two days later in his hotel room, um, and that, that's pretty cool. And and we we like to, of course, it's fun to watch our teams play, and, and if somebody does well, we like to think, oh, maybe that's a result of of their usage of our of our offering. Um, but we know we are not the end all be all. We're just one piece of the puzzle. Um, so you know, certainly certainly fun to have a rooting interest, but you also can't drive yourself crazy because this is just one one thing that's going on out of many things i'm starting to think sam bradford of the vikings he had like two weeks to prepare for that uh, for his first game in minnesota is that something that he would go towards virtual reality that that is certainly a a, a very good use case <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that Not <laughs> dive into too many many other specifics of, of what they're doing in Minnesota. Okay, so to, to not give too much away then, Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald have been very positive about your product. Would you be able to, without giving their secrets away, explain how they consume virtual reality? Uh, again, that, that, that's, you know, those are their, their use cases that I'm, I'm not going to publicly put on display. Um, I, I will tell you that, that you know, when, when you see a guy like Larry have a, have a career year, at, uh, at you know his age, um, when when skills are supposed to be declining, and when we were able to look at what he did with our our product last year, uh, used it in a few ways to keep his body fresh. Um, it, it was pretty neat to see. Um, and then in Carson's case, I mean, he's he's been very vocal that, that he he believes in this. Uh, and for a guy that that's a, been a pencil and paper guy for 13 years, um, and and now he dives into something new and different. That that's that's pretty neat to see. Is so. it still quarterback dominated this for football teams at least? As of right now, yeah. I mean, as of right now, that that's the best use case. Um, we are seeing everybody use it in different ways all over the field. Uh, we we try to make recommendations as often as we can, um, but yeah, for now it's it, it's it, it's mainly quarterback driven because as it should be. I mean, that's the most high impact position on the field, um, and those guys just never never get enough reps, you know. So how do you so, capture how do you capture the footage on the field? Are you setting up cameras all over the place? We typically are using one camera from a player's point of view, uh, and, and we move that around accordingly. Um, and then you know obviously get the, the get the footage post processed as fast as we can. Um, but yeah, no, not not multiple m- multiple cameras and anything too complicated would would just scare anybody uh, and any coach <laughs> of of having too much going on on their field. But you've mentioned before that it's 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 a pretty quick process, right? If if coaches or players were getting impatient, it doesn't take long for you to turn it around and give them a, a whole playbook. Well, we 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 do what the teams want to do right there on the field. So uh, we they don't. It's not like they hand they hand us their playbook and it appears a week later. Uh, we just integrate right into what they're already doing in practice. Um, so it's all a function of how much a team wants to actually capture content, and and that could be. 10 plays a day or 100 plays a day. It, it just kind of depends. So you can certainly get up to speed very fast um, or you can kind of take your time and, and have a cumulative uh, library build over, you know, over an entire season. Do we get to a point where the headsets that athletes are using get smaller? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's already happening. Um, that it, everything's going to get cheaper, lighter, uh, more, more power efficient, better, better resolution. I mean, it's, it's all going to happen and very soon. Um, but uh, probably not any time in the next year or so, to be honest. Uh, the, right now, the, the mobile hardware uh, that everybody sees and says, oh, can I use that? It, it's just limited. It, it's, not, it's not good enough for what the players need and, and for what our software does with tracking data and everything. Um, but eventually, we'll get there. 
So going into fan perspective quickly, how is virtual reality doing alongside TV? And can you explain what fans get by using a product like that when they're at home and they can be taken into the arena wearing, wearing the goggles? Yeah, so you know, we're, there, there's a company called NextVR um, that, that's doing a really, really good job of, of uh, pioneering live VR streaming um, at sporting events and other events. They did the presidential debate a couple times. Um, there's another company called Vote trying to do the same thing. There's a company called Live Like that puts you in a virtual uh, arena or, excuse me, virtual press box where you're watching the game down below. So th there's a lot of this stuff starting to pop up. Um, you know, I I've, I've even spoken to the founders of those companies, and I, I applaud what they're doing, and I think they're doing a great job. And I I've been fairly outspoken and that, that I don't think we're going to replace the television uh, with VR. I think it's going to be a complimentary thing. Um, so, you know, that, that, and also the, the sport determines kind of how good it can be. Um, you know, the view from the sideline of an F NFL game when you have to be pretty far back from the action because of where the players are isn't as good as courtside in an NBA game because you can literally put a camera right there and feel like you're there. So every sport is going to have its challenges. You know, same with baseball. You're pretty far away from the field. Maybe not as compelling as basketball or hockey would be like when you can be right on the board. So every game, every, every sport's going to have its challenges. I think the use cases we're seeing today, um, the best use cases are, you know, where a brand sponsors an interactive VR experience uh, for a particular team. Um, you know, one example that we have is we built a virtual hockey goalie simulator for the New York Rangers, and it was on the concourse every home game last year. Uh, and when you're there, when, when you do the two-minute experience, you actually feel like Lundqvist playing goalie for the Rangers and it's real <laughs> Rangers players shooting at you, the announcers uh, uh, telling you if you, you know, good job, bad job, you're getting scored. It was sponsored by Time Warner Cable that allowed them to pull that off and put it on the concourse every day. You'll see a few more of those this, this fall with hockey. Um, we've done a few projects with Visa that have partnered with some NFL teams to show fans what it's like inside the huddle and the weight room and on the field. So those types of things are really neat. Um, they're probably where the consumption is today. We're certainly not the only ones that have done those types of things with, it, with sports and outside of sports. Um, you know, unfortunately, not everybody owns a VR headset right now. As a matter of fact, hardly any people do worldwide, you know, so as compared to the TV and mobile phones. Uh, so as the distribution picks up, you're going to see more and more of this type of content be, be beamed out. Well, nothing beats the live event, as I'm sure you'll agree, but do you think the ticket will be devalued in time because of this? I, I don't know. I mean, honestly, that, that, that's a tough call. Uh, I don't. I don't think anything replaces actually being there. Um, you know, but next VR just, just did the, the U.S. Open tennis a couple months ago. Um, they did a great job. It was probably their first telecast where they really had the audio integrated really nicely. You, you really did feel you were there based on the crowd's reaction. Um, but, but again, it's, it's just limited as far as where you can put cameras relative to what it actually looks like in person. And, and you know, the headsets are, are, just, are not there yet from a HD standpoint. You know, the depth with cameras is going to be a, a ways before they really figure that out. So I don't think it's going to devalue the ticket anytime soon, if ever. Um, and, and certainly uh, those who are responsible for the in-venue in experience will find ways to make it better to compete with VR if it ever becomes big. For your company, what sport has been the most challenging in terms of getting this technology to work with players? That, that, that's a, I mean, I kind of mentioned it before, just, just getting over the hump of I've done this, you know, this way, this is the way I do it. <laughs> just, just the routine. 
um, and, and the and the unwillingness to change. Um, and and that, that's not necessarily a bad thing because a lot of coaches have, have been very successful. Um, but sports are a routine-driven uh, industry, uh, you know, obviously a results-driven industry. If, if, if a player or a coach says, this has gotten me this far, uh, why should I change? That's just not something that is easily uh, surmountable. <laughs> so, what about soccer, um, though? You know, something fast-moving like soccer or hockey is that is that more? Well, well, then, yeah. So then, there, there's your other challenge: uh, the the fluidity of, of soccer and hockey and basketball, and, and the size of the pitch with soccer. It, it, it's just VR technology just isn't isn't ready yet for that. Um, strapping a camera to somebody as they're running down the field. Uh, is not watchable in a headset, and you're going to make somebody sick and turn them off forever. So um, certainly there are challenges with with players and coaches, but then there's the challenges of the actual way the game's played. Um, so in soccer, we, we've got a couple really cool use cases, kind of more set-piece-oriented things, but maybe not necessarily something that a club wants to spend a lot of money on um, based on how you know what our costs are to pull it off. So uh, the, the fraught with challenges in, in certain sports, but not not things that are un- unsolvable over time. I think eventually with technology, we'll, we'll get there. Last couple of questions with Derek Belch. Derek, how many NFL teams are you working with at the moment? Uh, we currently work with seven NFL teams, 13 in college, uh, and one in high school, actually. <laughs> okay. And a couple, a couple NBA teams uh, and an MLB team and uh, any, anybody that we're allowed to talk about is on our website, so I'm not going to go through the list. Yeah, sure. Um, like to keep their, their relationship private. So I think, well, the International Series in London, after this season, we, we would have had 23 of the 32 NFL teams, and I think it's a goal for them to, to clean up the whole list. Is that a goal for you? Is that an aspiration? Of course, um, but we're also pretty realistic. I mean, we, we know we're not going to work with everybody unless the NFL just makes it, you know, mandated across the board that it has to be with Striver, which is you know, not happening anytime soon, if ever. Um, I, I think right now we're still in early adopter mode. Uh, you're going to see of the 32 teams, you know, maybe Striver can get 20 to 20, 24 of them. You know, maybe a handful of others are more price sensitive and they go with a cheaper competitor or somebody that offers to do it for free. Um, just to say they're working with them, and then maybe a handful just never do it because they say this is this is not worth my time, <laughs> you know. So uh, for us, uh, of course, all 32 would be awesome. Uh, more realistically, if we can be working with two thirds, three quarters of the league, uh, you know, and, and those teams feel that what we're doing for them is an advantage, then then that'd be a, a pretty successful uh, foray into football. Well, it sounds like you're busy. You're going to have to employ more people. Um, just coming back full circle here. I see some pretty scared kickers in the NFL at the moment. Um, Blair Walsh still looks petrified after his miss in the playoffs last season. The Bucks' Roberto Aguayo has had his struggles after Tampa Bay moved up in the draft to get him. So my question to you is, how or is virtual reality helping football kickers? Well, uh, we, we worked pretty, pretty closely with the Stanford kicker uh, last year. And this is well documented that he went from three for six uh, in, in, in backup appearances and 0 for three in the spring game to 18 out of 20 last year, um, and he was 6-6 six six coming into last weekend, uh, last weekend's games, and, and then hit, unfortunately hit the upright twice. But uh, that, So Conrad uh, at Stanford has, has been great using, using our tool for visualization, um, and, and we actually do, uh, do, do some work with some of the kickers that we work with their teams in the NFL as well. Um, and again, not going to dive into the specifics there, but uh, I think it, you know, for, for a kicker that wants to embrace it, 
uh, it can be a very, very powerful tool. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay, rapid fire, and I'll let you go. Do you still go and practice kicking? No. <laughs> <laughs> more more, more, more golf, golf swings and kicking motions at this point. If you had to pick one current NFL kicker to keep you alive, who would it be? Oh, Adam Vinatieri, un un unquestionably. He's like a fine wine. He just keeps getting better. <laughs> the best David Shaw story you have is? Uh, other than him him basically firing me, telling me to go join a company uh, <laughs> or to go start a, comp start a company. That one's pretty good, but it's a little more personal. Um, oh, God. Uh, probably when, it, and actually maybe this is, this is appropriate given the, the kicking conversation. Uh, when Stanford beat Oregon a few years ago and Jordan Williamson made, made the game-winning field goal up at Austin Stadium and you know, they asked David after the game what was going through his mind. Uh, he didn't say, make the kick. He said, I just said a small prayer that Jordan could you know, do, execute to the best of his ability and just left it at that. And I think that just shows you the kind of person that he is. Um, and and that, that's, that's pretty neat. Having worked for him, I can tell you that he's exactly as advertised. Really, really good guy. That's funny. Last two. The most challenging spot to place a camera is? A VR camera? Yeah. Uh, in, in the huddle, for sure. And we're, we're one of the only companies that actually gets it on a daily basis. So in the huddle. Great stuff. Last one. If you want to achieve one thing in the next five years with your company, what will that be? Uh, to be the de facto recognized uh, human performance training standard across virtual reality. Derek, you've been great. I really appreciate your time, and uh, it was good right, to Matt. catch up. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, have, a, have a great day, and, and happy to come on again. There you have it, Derek Belch. What a great, great listen in California. Sounded busy, didn't he? He's a busy man. He needs to get more NFL teams, though. If he, wants to be, he seems addicted to busyness, so I, I think he's going to try and achieve that soon. Um, and I'd like to know what Sam Bradford used and did with the virtual reality uh, to get himself up to speed with the Vikings, who were 5-0. The NBA begins on the 25th of October, not long to go. So next week's podcast, we have a special guest from the NBA and also top four storylines going into the season. So look out for that. Thanks for listening to today's show. Thanks for subscribing. You can find me on Twitter at Max underscore Whittle. The US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle is on Audio Boom. It's on iTunes. Thanks for listening. And just before I go, what did I learn today? I learned that Derek Belch would select Adam Vinatieri to kick the field goal that would keep him alive. Well, you can't trust anyone if you can't trust Adam Vinatieri. 38 straight field goals. Will he match his age next week? We'll find out. Thanks for listening. Have a good week all. Yeah.